1: Well, welcome to an incredibly exciting episode of Wellness Women Radio. This week, we have got something very special for you ladies, and that is we're doing our first interview, and uh, it's with someone absolutely amazing. Now, I'm just going to apologize from the outset. I've got a construction zone at my house, so anyone who's done a renovation uh, certainly knows what that feels like. So I will be uh, on silence, hopefully, and you won't be getting too much banging and crashing on my end, but I certainly am going to let Andrea take over and introduce this absolutely amazing guest today. Go ahead, Andy.
2: Ah, thanks, Ash. I am so, so excited to have the incredible Dr. Damien Christoph on the podcast with us this week. Now, this is the first of our interview series that we're releasing, and we're kicking it off with the absolute rock star of the Wellness Guys. Um, so, if you haven't met Damien, you must absolutely be living under a rock if you haven't heard of him. But let me introduce him to you properly and, and properly do him justice. Uh, So Damien is a nutritionist, he's a naturopath and a chiropractor. So I cannot imagine um, how many years uh, that would culminate in study. Um, But Damien is a really highly sought after presenter and speaker in the wellness industry. He has over 20 years um, of experience and he has an in-depth knowledge of absolutely everything uh, there is to know about food and wellness. And he is definitely our go-to guru on these topics, which is exactly why we've got him on the show with us today. Um, and I cannot imagine, um, anyone else who would be better for us to release our very first interview topic with than Damo. Um, so like I said, he's the co-host and co-founder of the wellness guys. Um, and he also has his 101 not out podcast, He's also the star of the hit TV show Downsize Me, which aired in over, I think it was over a hundred different countries worldwide. Um, He's the owner of Vita Lifestyles in Melbourne um, and also has a regular segment on the Triple M uh, radio show. So he is our absolute health guru. So welcome to the show, Damien. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: Oh, thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Ashley. It's, uh, it's really, it is my pleasure to be on your show and I'm a bit chuffed that I'm the first interviewee. That's that's very cool. Well,
2: we have. I have to tell
0: the boys I'll have to uh, have a bit of a brag session.
2: Oh, totally. And I've told Lawrence that uh, we were starting with you and he definitely seemed a little bit jealous, I think. I... <laughs> um Damien, look, I know all about your journey as to how you became the expert that you are today, but I would love to unpack a little bit of that for just for our listeners, just so they can get a bit of a grasp as to how it is you've evolved into being the person that you are today and how you can share such a powerful message. But you weren't always as uh, as clued up
0: on health as you are right now, yeah? No, I definitely wasn't. Good. That's a nice way of putting it. Thanks, so much Andrea <laughs> I, uh, well, it, was, it was great actually you know Andrew and I were studying together in New Zealand and uh, and so because I was in New Zealand at the time that and Andrea was in New Zealand we had the opportunity to you know share experiences and and see life and and study at the same college which was you know really I'm, I feel so grateful that I studied chiropractic in New Zealand yeah, um, it was and then incredible. had that opportunity to changed the face of uh, of health and wellbeing in New Zealand um it was you know a, a great opportunity particularly while I was studying but uh, I was I wasn't you know as you said I wasn't all clean, eat, clean eating and uh, kale smoothies when I grew up I <laughs> um, I was uh living on a diet of of rice bubbles with uh, milk and sugar and, you know, lunchtime was a white bread sandwich with sprinkles or, you know, hundreds thousands. and thousands in then maybe sometimes I'd upgrade to peanut butter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'd get home from school and I'd put a couple of fish fingers in the microwave with some mayonnaise between two pieces of white bread and maybe put sauce on top and then dinner time would, you know, it would be something wholesome that mum would make. But my, my diet was absolutely appalling, but very carb-rich and, and white. That's, that's essentially how I grew up. Um, you know, to me, tomatoes were were disgusting. Um, I never ate my peas. You know, I, I really did have a uh, an appalling diet as a, as I grew up. Not through any fault of my mum's. Uh, we just didn't have access to good quality food, um, and and that was more around finance. So, um, I, I learned probably the hard way. You know, in getting sick first, and then having to pull yourself out of illness, and then uh, and then learning, I suppose, a, a more natural way to to build health and. And I'm really grateful that I was able to establish a philosophy around health that dictated the terms to which I live my life um, as opposed to just relying on one source of, of medicine or one source of healthcare. I have a very open mind to be able to explore everything.
2: And Damien, I love that you've come from eating what might actually be a very typical diet for so many people. Um, and I know that you think now that it was appalling and you have that, um, you know, gift of of, um, you know, hindsight, I guess. Um, yeah. but what were some of the biggest mistakes that you were making that led to your health declining? And I know you went through some chronic fatigue and, and some other more serious things, but what was it in particular that you would attest that to?
0: I think what it was is, a, I suppose, a lack of understanding. But maybe not even a lack of understanding, but maybe more of a, a lack of awareness that food has such a significant part to play. I think most people think that all they're going to do is make themselves feel comfortable or feel full after a meal, as opposed to looking at the types of foods that are going to the body and how that's going to nourish them or support them. So, you know, you might think oh, I've got to have a piece of meat, or I've got to have some vegetables. Um, and uh, and I've, you know, a lot of people do low fat, so you know, they're doing low fat, cutting the, the fat off the meat. And so as a result, you're kind of left with a, depending on the way in which you prepare it, you're left with a relatively nutrient devoid uh, meal or a a substantially um, unbalanced uh, ratio of protein, fat, and carbohydrates. So you're left craving and wanting more food. And so you might then start to make some poor decisions around, you know, desserts or um, supper or snacks in between your meals. And and, and that's exactly where I I was. I was just so unbalanced, I was so carb heavy with my food. Uh, that uh, I was left craving all the time. But the the interesting thing was, Andrea, and I know that you'll also find this interesting, Ashley, was that um, I, whilst I ate so much food, like literally I was the kid, I was the person who could eat 10 times more than anybody else but still weighed 63 kilos at 18 years wow. old. Oh, I was that- super light, So I wasn't... Um, I wasn't overweight, I was underweight but I was malnourished and I was malnourished because the food that I was eating didn't have the nutrition in it that would support my health and my well-being plus it would come to, I don't have celiac disease but the food that I was eating would have been affecting the way in which I had the potential to absorb Nutrients, oh, so absolutely. I was having so much gluten, so much sugar, and just you know, I, I probably was perpetually bloated. I, don't, I can't remember if I farted lots, but seriously, <laughs> I was—I uh, w- I wasn't a well person. I do remember getting. I was wondering to if we'd get through an episode
2: without fart or poo being brought up. Oh, I'm waiting for it. I'm sure to be coming. After, would you be what we would would have called like skinny fat back then? Would,
0: would you have been? Um, t- yeah, well, I used to get it. People used to say to me all the time, "You're so skinny. Look at you. Put some weight on. You know." And I was kind of like. Um, you know, people could be called fattest these days, but I was a skinny. I was skinnest, I was a skinniest. I was copying it. You know, people were were saying to me, "Look at you! Look how skinny you are! Can't you put some weight on? It? Eat some food?" And I'd seriously eat so much food. I, I literally, like these days, if you commented on someone's weight to the extent that I was commented on about my weight being so skinny, um, you'd probably have some kind of harassment claim. But uh, I. I I I really uh, struggled to put on weight. And I was a swimmer. I did lots of sport. I had muscles. uh, I even had abs, but I didn't didn't eat very well. And I I suppose I could have gone a lot further with my sport had I had the right nutrition at the time.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And Damien, I know a lot of those food choices were because of a lot of what you talk about, about the intelligence in food and how that helps us to make better choices. Can you expand a little bit on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, when we look at food, we have been led to believe that the only thing that's in food is what can be measured. And uh, and, and I think this is the plight of science, is that unless you can measure it, um, unless you can understand it, then it's not true. Uh, and and I find that to be, you know, a very antiquated, archaic kind of uh, model of, of inquiry. Um, fortunately, we've now got emerging sciences, um, you know, such as... Um, Quantum physics, you know, that that's exploring um, electrons and and vibration and all those sorts of things, uh, and trying to explain and understand how you know thought and and mindfulness actually impacts on the health of the body. The same thing goes for our food. So, you know, you might have vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D, and vitamin E in a food, um, and that's all good. But and they they're pieces of instructions that the body can actually utilise to to um, to perform different tasks but you might also have some protein, fat and carbohydrate which would be your macronutrients and and those particular pieces of, um, of building blocks assist the body in behaving as well. So you've got your minerals, your vitamins uh, which are your instructions and then you've got building blocks which are your protein, fat and carbohydrates. And, uh, and, and I think that most people primarily focus on the macronutrients, they go "Oh, I need more protein or I need more fat or I need more carbohydrate um, without actually looking at the total um, nutrient load of the meal. Now, you can have foods that have all the protein and all the fat and all the carbohydrate that you require, plus all the vitamins that you would require, but they are essentially just packaged up pieces of information. In other words, they're they're constructed foods that don't really give life. They give information and that's all. And so the the point you asked me about before, Andrea, was... um, what about foods that have intelligence? And the foods that actually have intelligence are the foods that can actually continue to give life or actually are still continuing to hold themselves in form or shape. Uh, so for example, if we used an apple, if an apple has been sitting on a supermarket shelf for six months, for example, it hasn't sold, but it's still sitting on the supermarket shelf in the shape of an apple, that in itself has a degree of intelligence that holds it in you know, shape and form. Mm. It's It's getting less and less. It's degrading. But if I was ta- if I took a pip out of that apple, and I and even if that apple had been sitting on the shelf for six months, took the pip out, the seed out, put that on some cotton wool, some sunlight, gave it a bit of water, you'd expect that that pip, that seed to grow, and uh, and that's an intelligent function. Whereas if I got all of the all of the nutrients, so all of the carbohydrate, all of the protein, all of the fat, all the vitamins and the minerals that I would find in that apple and put it into a little glass jar. And, and stirred that around, added some water to it, I wouldn't create an apple, but I'd have the same nutrient density. And, but I, would, I wouldn't feel the same. I wouldn't feel as good eating um, or drinking that drink that had all the nutrients in it as I would from eating the apple. And, and the difference being is something that can't be measured. And, and I like to call that natural intelligence or innate intelligence. And, uh, and that's something that I like to talk about because the more food that you eat that has intelligence, um, as well as the vitamins, the minerals and the information, uh, the better your body's going to feel as opposed to food that's been, I suppose, over-processed, uh, but has the same amount of um, calories and information in it.
2: Yeah, and I love that concept and I also like the idea of eating intelligent food because in my head that makes me feel like that will have good positive benefits on my IQ as well. Um, True, absolutely. I'm sure that works uh, in some in some realm there. And, Damien, I like that idea that it just keeps things really simple. You know, yeah. if, if something's in its natural form that has its own, you know, intelligence, its own force, we can see the differentiation we can make there between that and say – you know, a piece of white bread that's been so highly, highly processed, um, as opposed to looking at the plethora of different diets out there and lifestyle products. And it's no wonder that everybody's so damn confused about what they're supposed to be eating, how they're supposed to be, you know, dieting or detoxing or, or whatever it might be, because it's so, so complicated um, and Damien, we get so many questions all the time from women about very specific food questions and, you know, they can get quite detailed because of how much information is out there at the moment. Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the mistakes that particularly women tend to make when it comes to food. Sure. What sort of things do you see really often?
0: I reckon the one thing that um, the girls tend to do is they... they um, they set expectations that that may be unrealistic. I think that's one thing. Um, and when I say unrealistic, they're wanting to achieve things in shorter amounts of time uh, or in a more rapid time frame than, um, than what may be normally physiologically possible. And so, as a result, they have with of high expectations. Uh, and I, I don't think this is exclusive to women. I think we definitely see this in in the manscape as well. You know, we definitely see that that um, people just in general want things immediately. Uh, and so as a result of wanting immediacy, there's the tendency to then go to extremes. And so rather than actually being, like, you know, the metaphor I like to use is to, is to stay out of the crease for a long time. So it's a cricket term where you'd, you'd be out and you'd be playing and, and batting for, for such a long time that it becomes almost impossible to fail. Whereas if you go out there slogging and trying to smack the ball around, you're more likely to make mistakes and errors and then go out. The same thing goes for you know if you've got to go to an extreme measure around eating. So when I say extreme, I'm kind of going like the polar ends of the health and food spectrum Uh, and and that could be anything from veganism all the way through to paleo which would be potentially the other extreme. Um, My finding and my feeling is that if we uh, set ourselves up in a longevity sense and we enjoy our food and we eat really great food 80% of the time and we give ourselves a little bit of play space, um, then we can actually um, use our philosophy around food and health and lifestyle to design really healthy meals without going to extremes. So I I eat paleo-inspired meals and I also eat uh, vegan meals but I'm not paleo and I'm not vegan, um, I'm very primal. So I'm not afraid to have some rice because I know that there's cultures around the world that eat rice. I'm also not afraid to, you know, to go without an animal-based protein in a particular meal because there's cultures around the world that actually thrive on vegan or vegetarian-style uh, eating programs. So I think the, the idea is to not be as extreme.
1: And that fits oh. in with our vision so much. We talk all the time about having this uh, balance and honouring the fact that every one of us is different and there's no one fits all diet, is there?
0: No, not at all. There's actually no science around any diet. I know that you've got science um, in exploration. So you look at the paleo thing and the science around paleo has been done on, based on anthropology. So they've uh, tried to reconstruct information from 200 200 you know, a thousand years ago uh, by making assumptions about the way in which we've evolved looking at our genetics. But the genome's continually changing. Um, and we also understand that the human genome is but a fraction of the information and in the, uh, in the, the instruction manuals that our body actually carries around. It's only one one-hundredth of the information that our body carries around every single day. The DNA in humans... Is like twenty three thousand genes, but the DNA that we get from our bacteria that actually reside in our body, which actually controls more of the functions of our body than what we could ever imagine, is a hundred times greater in number than uh, than what our own cells actually you know have in terms of your structure manual. So, you know, th- there's there's so much more that we need to consider. Uh, but then, if we look at vegan. There's no rigorous scientific studies that would indicate that um, the vegan is the healthiest or the safest way to go. Same as the Mediterranean diet, albeit that's probably the, the most studied of all the diets on the planet. It's still not perfect for every single person. You know, um, I like to use blood type diets as kind of a like a, a baseline, I suppose, where people can actually start from. But I, I also like to consider that. You know, there's, there's bloodlines, you know, for example, that have got O-type blood, but they've grown up in well, their ancestries come through Ireland. Um, so the, the, the things, the foods that you'd eat as an O-type blood person, like a very high meat program uh, with robust uh, vegetables um, would be, you know, potentially not the, the ideal sort of eating program for a blonde, a blonde blue-eyed, uh, pale-skinned Irish person. Um, that just wouldn't work out very well.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And I love that there is no one size that fits all, but as women and, you know, as as everybody in the Western world at the moment, we want that magic pill. We want that, that quick fix. We want our bodies to change instantly and we want to see results straight away, um, which can be so frustrating uh, for women, especially when things don't change because then we lose that motivation. (laughs) um true, you know when, when we don't see something and you know for example let's talk about weight loss if women are trying to shift their body composition they usually allow themselves a window of two weeks before they start to see change has that been your experience too Damien if they don't see changes within that time frame then they completely lose all motivation?
0: Yeah, totally, absolutely, and and you know I think TV shows like The Biggest Loser and um, and even programs that have been set up that measure weight loss uh, as your as your key marker of success set people up to be measuring their success based on what the scales represent that that may not be reflected so much in you know the size of your clothes, the way you feel, your energy output, um, your cardiovascular risk markers, or your um, diabetes markers, or anything like that. You know, to, to remove or to eliminate all those other markers probably sells people a little bit too short and uh, and that's that's a huge challenge but we are in an age of instant gratification you know we used to be able to take photos we'd take you know a roll of film that was 24 photos we'd take it off to Kmart we'd get it you know developed and two weeks later we'd have our photos and probably three of them worked but in that time these days um, in the space of three weeks, uh, we could have taken three or four hundred photos and uh, forgotten which photos we've actually taken. That degree of instant gratification that we require and instant validation means that people have an up to date view of how we're progressing. And we want to show people. Really quickly, how much success we're having. Um, Facebook set up so that you only share the good stuff um, or the really sad stuff, so you get friends patting on your back, but never the mediocre times. Um, Instagram only shows amazing food; it doesn't show the disasters. You know, (laughs) it's it's only going to show the good, you know, the good stuff, and uh, and so people only ever really want to share the successes, and the more people that like that success. Um, In other words, the more people that are involved or engaged in that success, um, I I suppose the better or more validated many people feel. But the fascinating thing is that those people that I've had and seen the most success with share the least amount of information with their friends and family um, because they just kind of go about it. Um, almost self like, and uh, and then come Christmas time, people are going, oh my gosh, you've lost weight. You know, when did you do that? And all of a sudden, the conversation is, well, I've been doing it for the last twelve months. I've lost ten or fifteen or twenty kilos, and um, and they're going, oh, we didn't even know you were doing it. And, and I think that's the point is not sharing it with so many people because you put less pressure on yourself.
2: Ah, uh, that's so interesting because so many times we would think, you know, enroll your tribe in your mission. And get them on board, but so often that can challenge other people who may not be on the same wavelength as you or have that same goal, and then they might feel like they're missing out. So, for example, if you can't go out, you know, and have those cocktails with them, they're going to want you to still participate. Um, so that's that's really fascinating. Um, and Damien, what else would you encourage women to do if they are looking for that constant motivation or they're lacking in that? Is there something that can help to keep them going that you would suggest?
0: Yeah, look, I think it's a psychological game, really, isn't it, Andrea? I, I reckon that um, that that everybody requires something that's going to be their linchpin. Um, for me, I need accountability from one friend. That's all I need. I need one friend who's going to hold me accountable. I don't need a tribe of people. I don't need um, a heap of people to hang out with. I don't need to be a, a part of a CrossFit gym in order to feel included. I don't. I don't need that as. As my accountability, I do need to have somebody to help me maintain my accountability. That's really important to me. Um, But I don't need heaps of people. So I think for every single person, it's going to be slightly different. So um, I've got friends, girlfriends who um, love to attend particular classes at the yoga studio, and, and they do it every single day, um, or every two or three days, and it's their accountability session. Then they go out and have a nice breakfast, or you know, whatever, or maybe a coffee, and and then get on with the rest of the day. And in that time, they'll talk about what they're achieving, what they're not achieving, and, and that's great. There's other people that you don't know, have to be part of a group. Like um, Lawrence, for example, his accountability is to um, his training partner. Um, and they go to CrossFit every single day at a particular time, and and that's his accountability. Um, And he will also hold hold himself accountable by broadcasting out to um, a larger audience. For me, that actually makes me shrink back a little bit. If I go and tell everybody, I'll probably withdraw myself from from social media so that I don't have to share that I've actually fallen off the wagon. Like, I I don't like to do that. So I I think it's really individual, but I think it's really important for people to identify um, who it is or what it is, or, or, um, or how many people actually required to help them maintain their accountability. Uh, I love to use um, my inspiration as, as my, my basis for my accountability and, and my family are my inspiration. So if I'm not looking after myself, I've got to ask myself a question, you know, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for my family? And if I'm doing it for my family, it's an easier, easier decision to actually um, you know, behave myself.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, And Damien, while you talk about your family, you have some really lovely rituals around food that make the, you know, that sharing that time and that experience so, so important. Um, And I know that a lot of this has come from your research that you've done through 100 Not Out and the um, importance of having that community sense and and the sharing of food and, and those sorts of things. Can you talk about that and how important that is?
0: Yeah, for sure. For me, uh, food like the the ceremony around the preparation of food and then the ceremony around actually eating food is is so unbelievably important. Um, I'd much prefer to sit down to a bowl of pasta, most likely going to be gluten-free pasta of course, <laughs> but I'd much prefer to sit down to a bowl of pasta um, with a, you know a bunch of friends and family and have fun and laughing and joking and mucking around than to sit down to a A kale smoothie instead by myself, you know, reading my Facebook. You know what I mean? It's there's something very, very different about what you're putting into your body from a nutrient perspective, and what you're putting into your body from a um, an environmental perspective around enjoyment and engagement. Um, I love to create meals as well, so I love to actually create, um, you know, breakfasts and lunches and dinners, and I and I put a lot of effort into it. So I don't like just to go and. Steam some asparagus and steam some sweet potato and stream some broccoli and you know throw some lamb in the oven and just let it you know sizzle away. I like to really create something that I'm really proud of, so that my family goes, "Wow, that's beautiful. That's amazing." Bit like the castle, you know. What do you call that? <laughs> you know? You know, it might not even be results but that appreciation, um, I really love it to bits. And so that that ceremony uh, that co- that goes with um, the community. Uh, design of eating, uh, I love it. I love it bits, and and that's way more important to me than anything else around food.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I like how you talk about the um, most of the centenarians in the world have those rituals around food, um, and it's more to do with that community sense and that interaction that they have with their rather than the actual food that they're eating, which I think is so fascinating. Um, Damien, I'm going to change tunes a little bit here because one of my most favorite topics um, to do with women's health is their hormones. And I would love to know if there's any particular foods that are really detrimental to women's hormones or really uh, beneficial as well.
0: That's a, that's such a good question, and the everything we're finding, Andrea, changes. And uh, and and what we're we're noticing, uh, look, twenty years ago, we used to suggest that soy was a health food for every single woman, um, yeah. and so we're taking people off dairy, whacking them on soy, getting them eating tofu, having soy milk, uh, putting soy grit on their cereal, um, having soy protein, and all that sort of stuff. Everyone was going mental about soy, and um, and it, it was good for some, and it wasn't good for others. Um, and then we started to understand that it's, it's good to investigate what happens with women's hormones. You know, can they detoxify estrogen, or is estrogen, um, you know, building up in their system in, in, in a, a poor and dangerous sense? So, instead of being so prescriptive about it, or being you know, um, a little bit black and white about it, and saying you have to have soy, we started to investigate it more. Uh, I see the same sorts of things happening at the moment. I don't think um, coconut is to the same extent a hormone influencer. But we are all eating so much coconut at the moment, you know, having I mean, coconut flour, coconut sugar, coconut oil, coconut, you know, milk, everything, and and that concerns me a little bit. Um, actually, it concerns me a lot. So I I'm encouraging people to you know go back to a greater variety of different types of uh, flowers and different types of oils, and and not just rely on one particular fruit for the whole. Of, whole source of their nutrition and dietary intake.
2: And Damien, while you bring up oils, can we just, uh, once and for all, uh, there's been so much contention around, okay, what is a better oil to cook with? Is it coconut oil because of the smoke point? Is it olive oil? What temperature should you heat at? Can you just give us clarification once and for all, right now, what is the science saying about what is best to cook with?
0: (laughs) Well, at a high heat, um, really, the best oil to cook with at a high heat, you know, for, from a safety perspective, would be something like canola oil or palm oil. And so you kind of go, well, do we really want to be doing that? <laughs> exactly right. So they're not even healthy oils. So I uh, oh, look, I wrote an article about it. I've put it on my website, um, it's on damykristof.com. And on that website, I've written an article called Which Oil When. and uh, And in there, I outline the smoke points of all the different oils, and many people are shocked to find out that um, coconut oil smoke point is at about 170 degrees, which is a very, very, very low smoke point. Um, people used to sprout on about coconut oil having a high smoke point, and they'd say that coconut oil had a uh, a lot of medium-chain triglycerides, which um, basically precluded it from all of the dangers that we've discovered around saturated fat, and that coconut oil would in fact be beneficial, but. It's it's a bit of a furphy. It's a bit of a myth. Um, coconut oil doesn't have that much medium chain triglyceride. When you look at the numbers, when you break down coconut oil into its different types of fats, you could either have short chain uh, fatty acids, medium chain fatty acids, or long chain fa- fatty acids. And and when you look at the numbers, the numbers purely would suggest that coconut oil has a good percentage of medium chain triglycerides. However, when you look at the behaviour of those particular numbers, the numbers don't actually reflect the behavior it's kind of like um, you know the consideration of who's a good student is it the student who gets a good mark but's disruptive to the rest of the uh, audience uh, the, the class or is it the student who's actually contributed to the class and gets an okay mark who's a better student? Um, it depends what you're measuring so um, with the smoke point of any oil once you hit that smoke point um, you've basically destroyed it it's it's now no longer. At all healthful for you, and in fact, uh, it could in, it could be very very damaging and detrimental to you. So, I like to cook with macadamia oil on a on a medium to high heat. If I'm going to be cooking with oil, um, mm-hmm. if I'm cooking on a low heat um, or a low to a medium heat, I'd use um, olive oil preferentially. Um, I, I prefer to use um, omega based oils or polyunsaturated fats in the you know in their raw state. So, I don't like to cook a lot with with olive oil. I prefer to actually use olive oil raw. If I'm going to cook at a, a low to medium heat and I'm cooking for a long, slow time, I don't mind using coconut oil. But I definitely would never cook coconut oil on a high heat because it burns very, very quickly. And people would go, oh, yeah, I could see that smoking but I just thought it was steam. It is, actually, it is actually turning black and it is actually a problem. So you've got to stay away from cooking on high heat with coconut oil. But summary summary of that, I cook with macadamia oil. I cook with coconut oil on low heat and and olive oil on low heat, but I use heaps of olive oil um, in the preparation of my dressings um, in the preparation of of you know oiling my food um, before I eat it. Um, I use olive oil in its extra virgin state, so I don't cook with it most of the time
2: and it's cold pressed always
0: yeah. cold pressed yeah absolutely
2: oh. Always beautiful. Um, I cannot believe how quickly the time goes. Um, Damien, are there any other, uh, tips that you would give for women? So foods to really support their hormonal system?
0: Yeah, I think the key thing uh, with women is to be mindful of of the way in which a b- woman's body is constructed. Yes, women have got muscles, um, and yes, women have got uh, have, have got fat, um, and your your bodies will perform very very differently um, than a man's body. And so, if you're trying to eat the same sort of meals as a man, um, then you'll have a hormone-altering effect, if the man's trying to have the same sort of meals as what you're having, um, then he'll have a hormone-altering effect. So you've kind of got to select it appropriately. Understand that eating lots of protein um, has the potential to increase um, muscle growth, and muscle growth has the potential to increase testosterone in both men and women's bodies. Uh, And so if testosterone is not your friend um, in terms of um, if you've got hormone dysfunction like polycystic ovarian syndrome um, or polycystic ovarian disease, then having a lower protein eating program might be more appropriate. If you're suffering from hot flashes, for example, a, a, a greater proportion of vegetables in your diet is hugely helpful and hugely beneficial. If you're looking at fertility, um, then you want to make sure that you're getting easy-to-digest proteins with good amounts of fat because you're looking to plump up. You, the one thing you don't want to do when you're trying to you know, uh, get fertile is to go into some kind of ketogenic eating program where you're losing heaps of fat because you're actually literally losing the nourishment that your body requires to get pregnant. So there's a whole lot of stuff that um, you need to consider with that.
2: Oh, that is amazing. Um, and I know that our listeners are going to get so much from just the, those little pearls of wisdom there. Um, Damien, can you believe that we've made almost an entire episode without talking about poo? <laughs> <laughs> we did talk
0: about farts. Was, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're so...
2: <laughs> just a little snippet there. Um, so let me just do a little bit of a nerdy librarian sort of uh, recap of some of the things that we've talked about. So there's certainly, you know, obviously, like you said, men and women's bodies are different um, and the food that we need for a certain stage of our life is a bit different too. Um, create rituals around your eating and, you know, focus on that rather than, you know, going sitting by yourself, watching, you know, on Facebook or watching TV, eating your green smoothie, cause that's going to have a different interaction in your system. Um, and enjoy your meals and that experience that you have with it as well. Um, coconut oil is not all it's cracked up to be <laughs> according to, but, according to, to some of the science at, you know, at cooking at high temperatures, yeah, I cooking, say.
0: Yeah, definitely cooking.
2: Um, which is, which is really interesting there. Um, Damien, one thing I forgot to mention when I was actually introducing you is that you're also the founder of Forage, the Forage cereal brand. Um, and can I just say that the paleo granola that you make is my favorite snack in the entire world. (laughs) Um, Thank it is, it is so, so good. Um, David, just before we wrap up, could you just give us your three top tips for how women can really change their food and nutrition? So what are the things that they can put into place now and start from right now? What are your top three things?
0: Um, I, I think that if women um, focused on keeping their meals light and easy to digest, then they'd, they'd bode very, very well. A lot of women that I've met um, complain about bloating and lower abdominal bloating in, in, in particular. Um, and that's often associated with uh, foods that are quite difficult and challenging to digest. Um, now, I know that's a very broad blanket statement but it, that's light, the lighter the meal, the better. So salads, vegetables, um, good quality protein um, and raw oils. Uh, so for me, that, that's a, a really nice... Um, thing to consider. I think it's really important for, I think, I think all humans uh, to start the day out of stress. And so I would much prefer to see somebody start the day with food rather than actually caffeine. So if you could start the day um, eating uh, a beautiful meal like forage, for example, for breakfast, um, or eggs and spinach and avocado, uh, you would do way, way, way better than if you start the day with, uh, with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Um, And then, of course, in the evening, I think it's really important that we focus on digestion. So, just to check in and see how your body is actually feeling uh, from a day's worth of food. You know, are you feeling refreshed? Do you feel like you can easily move your bowels? Do you feel like um, you've hydrated well enough? And just to kind of check in, because you've probably got a couple of hours when you get home from work to be able to consider whether or not you've done a good job in that particular day. So that might shape the way in which you think about your dinner, might shape the way in which you hydrate yourself that evening, um, it might shape the way in which you actually, you know, prepare yourself for food the next day. Uh, So I I think it's just good to check in.
2: Perfect. Uh, Damien, that is fantastic. Um, Now, I know all of our listeners are going to want to find out more about you. Where can they go to do that?
0: I reckon if you go to my website, Andrea, that's the best place to go, so christoph.com So it's D-A-M-I-A-N. Dot, oh, so <laughs> Christoph. So Christophe, K-R-I-S-T-O-F.com. And uh, if you go to that and uh, you'll find my Facebook uh, with the same names, Christoph, you, you'll see that uh, that's there. There's a page that you can like there um, and you get all the updates of my events. Um, and, and if you go to the Christoph website, you'll see links to Forage. You can buy Forage. Um, at your local chiropractor, we can buy forage at your local retail store. You can buy it online, um, and, and you know start the day off beautifully. And of course, there's the wellness guys. You can go to the wellness guys and get access to all of our stuff there via wellnesscouch.com and, uh, and and get tickets to the wellness summit coming up this year.
2: Oh, and we are so so excited about that.
1: Thank um, you so much. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, we had you over here on the west coast uh, not that long ago, and we can't wait to have you back again. So yeah, thank you. Awesome. Brilliant episode
2: uh ladies thank you so much for tuning in today i know that you would have loved this with uh with damien uh, so please go onto itunes um find us on facebook let us know everything that you thought about this episode and if you've got any follow-up questions as well we would love to hear that um you can find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash the wellness women uh, and on instagram underscore the wellness women uh ladies we can't wait to hear um all of your thoughts on the episode today make sure you give us a five-star rating on itunes if you think we deserve it as well uh, And until next